start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, another year of low local taxes for Google and Facebook. How the consultancies are changing because of their push into the marketing world. And are the eyeballs disappearing from breakfast TV? Unmade. Morning, Damo. How are you? Morning, Tim. Uh, a, a little bit bleary-eyed, as you can probably see through the, the, the camera. I had a, a, a pretty valiant attempt at uh, watching the Monaco Grand Prix last night, which uh, significant rain delays, so I only got through maybe two-thirds of it before I fell asleep. But um, it was a big uh, big night for motorsport fans, because uh, over on Stan Sport earlier in the morning uh, was the Indy 500 uh, as well, which I clearly didn't get to. Yeah, well, I'm sort of... Glad you mentioned the different streaming services or the different ways of watching sport, which is something I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on based on a couple of tweets I've seen from different uh, Australian sports fans this week in relation to football. Because uh, we're now seeing the situation where maybe 10, maybe even 12 years ago, people used to grumble a bit about Foxtel holding the monopoly on sports and being able to charge quite a lot for it but at least it was only one fee and then you would get pretty much everything whereas now and this was the example people were talking about just for for, uh, football or soccer as they call it in the rest of the world uh, you've got if you want to watch the the Champions League which was over the weekend um, then the consumers need to be watching it on Stan Sport Uh, for FA Cup that's over on Paramount Plus and then for the EPL it's on Optus Sport so there's a whole bunch of uh, extra services that people need to sign up for completism um it's not very satisfactory really is it no it really isn't i mean look let's use the motorsport example again if you're a consumer and you love formula one or you love supercars you're shelling out for foxtel or you're shelling out for ko whichever one suits you but if you want to watch the indie cars or the the australian touring cars or a number of other motorsport uh, events um, which feature Australians and, and New Zealanders, uh, for example, then you, you're shelling out more money. Stan Sport carries a, a lot of those, so it's $10 on top of uh, the, the regular Stan fee, whatever subscription level you've, you've taken with Stan. So it's becoming really, really tricky to know where uh, to spend your money. And uh, to at the end of the day, you just don't get what you used to get in terms of the number of sports and, and the, the viewing opportunities. Yeah, and I, I suppose the other question is, I remember writing about the final season of Game of Thrones and making the point that because of the launch of, and I think maybe it was just ahead of Binge, but one of Foxtel's streaming services, people actually could now legally choose to stream a particular show and pay money for it. And it felt like a bit of a solution to piracy. And I detect that in sport at the moment, maybe it's just, you know, the keywords I'm looking at or whatever, but I'm seeing on social media at the moment, a growth again of people sharing passwords for pirate sites and that kind of thing. So I wonder if there's a bit of a consumer reaction to people who are um, actually thinking, well, you know, I've, I've 
subscribed in one place. I'm not going to subscribe in another. So maybe we, we, we may actually see one result with this fragmentation um, going back to more piracy again. Yeah, look, I, I definitely see your point there. I, I think when we see stuff like that, it's only a matter of time before it kind of gets addressed um, and, and slowly shut down. And then there's a matter of time before people find workarounds for that as well. But I think there are two interesting points here. On a brand side, if you're investing in, in sports as part of your marketing game, then surely this fragmentation in, in the ability to view sports isn't good for you because you're getting less people uh, potentially watching the, those sports, those casual viewers that people, uh, the networks used to get. You don't have that as much because you really need to think about where you're signing up uh, and what sports you're going to get out of that. So for a brand, not as good. Look, I'd also be suggesting that you know Australia is a sports mad nation and we've always loved getting our kids into sports and, and seeing them sort of develop interests in that. If you're looking at how you view sports in your household, it's becoming really tricky. You're, you're picking and choosing and, and there's not that sort of natural ability for consumers to just, you know, jump into sports and, and learn about them. So, yeah, look, it's it's getting really tricky, Tim, and, and I think something needs to change pr- pretty quick, smart. And like you said, there's going to be consumer reaction to that. Unmade. So, Tim... I haven't asked you about uh, your weekend movements yet and, and what you were doing last week as well. What have you been up to? Yeah, one of the reasons I was in Sydney last week, and I'm still in Sydney as we record this now, although I'm about to jump on a plane to, 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 to Melbourne a little bit later this morning, was to attend the Australian Association of National Advertisers annual conference, Reset which has had a bit of a bumpy time over the last couple of years because of uh, COVID means they've had to had to postpone it on a couple of occasions. So I think this was perhaps the third date. So that's what uh, found me sitting in Royal Randwick with some, uh, some of the, uh, the A-list names of Australia's uh, chief marketing officer community. And, and how did you find that? We're, we're back to live events we did our own last week and and now you've uh, attended reset as well is it what you expected it to be yeah um this is the one i'm still working through a bit and i wrote about this in saturday's email as well um because the agenda and i'm and i'm 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 literally i'm holding up the program in front of me because it was it was on the desk as we started talking um it was very I'm struggling to choose my words because I'm, 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 you know, I don't want to sound negative about it because it might just be that I don't get where the world's going to. I suppose what I'm saying is it wasn't what I expected, but that doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, right for the AANA in that there was very little conversation about big, specific marketing topics. Um, so, you know, I look, well, you know, there, there, there was a welcome to country in the schedule, although actually that, that didn't happen on the day because Uncle Peter McKenzie had been invited to do it. It, it was unwell on the day. But um, there was an opening address from Martin Brown, chairman of AANA, and there was, you know, as 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 you, you might expect, there was talk about diversity, there was talk about sustainability as the, the agenda for the industry. Um, opening keynote, Dylan Alcott, 
you know, talking about being, you know, an and athlete in a wheelchair and the story of, you know, how he found success for Australia in basketball and, and then even more famously in tennis. You know, massively inspiring and, you know, much about sort of you, you can sort of see how it's, you know, uh, you, people would take from it something about, you know, how they bring back to their own lives. Not a lot about marketing itself. Um, we then a little bit later in the program heard from Luke Pearson, who, um, runs Indigenous X. And again, it was, it, it was much about his journey to finding a voice with Indigenous X and, you know, how, um, you know, how sort of Twitter had been the platform that he'd sort of broken through on it. But again, there wasn't really a dotted line towards marketers and marketing and what they did. Um, then a bit later on, we heard, and this, this was a video address because he didn't manage to get to Australia from, uh, creative Beto Fernandez sort of, um, talking about brands as, activists and sharing some sort of activist stuff that he'd done. So it kind of, I kind of what kind of came away thinking, okay, what is it I'm missing about the, the agenda choices? You know, is it actually just a pragmatic one? They'd had to keep postponing. So it wasn't the program they'd actually wanted in the first place. Or is it something about where marketers have got to that the, that the issues around things like sustainability, representation, climate change, the the so-called woke agenda are genuinely number one on the agenda now for big marketers and brands. It's not about long-term brand building, short-term selling widgets. It's something bigger. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what the answer is, but yeah, I was just, fascinated about the choices being made for for what is the you know the voice of australia's big marketers last week i mean that's an interesting point i remember at mumbrella 360 many years ago looking at a number of sessions about the woke agenda and sustainability those were all sort of the hot topics for the future do you think that maybe this covid induced stay at home situation that we've had is just maybe warped uh, our idea as an industry on on what is important right now, um, or have we maybe lost touch with ourselves just slightly? Look, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe maybe can you give me an example of what you're thinking of? Yeah, I mean, look, we always used to talk about that, uh, you know, years ago in, in the future sense of no one's doing this right now, but everyone should be thinking about it because in a few years' time. Everyone's going to be choosing brands on, on different uh, principles than what they are today. Um, and, and to your point, suddenly it kind of looks like that's now that's now it that that day has come. But may, maybe not necessarily has actually come. We, we're just sort of thinking that it's come. There, there's no real, I guess, huge evidence that that it actually has come. We, sustainability, greenwashing, for example, those sorts of things and how brands change to, to um, I, I guess, um, be more receptive to them um, is, a, is a big talking point, but still maybe the results aren't there. Yeah, look, and I, I, I suppose where you, I see exactly what you're saying and I suppose maybe where I come at it a bit is I see how all of these are, you know, the they, they they should be part of the underlying music to everything marketers do. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I, and I suppose where you know where I struggled a bit last week was just working out. But is that all that marketers are talking about right now? You know, in a you know in a quite as you say post COVID, but quite a complex post COVID environment. So so I suppose yeah, that was that was almost the question for me. But that's not to say it's not reality. You know, I I I chatted some people from one of the big global media agencies a little while back and was asking what's changed for them in RFPs. And they were saying, you know, the one thing that's always in there now, which wasn't before, was the kind of the hygiene check of sustainability and how agencies do their business. So absolutely it's it, it's up their agenda. But I'm 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 fascinated if the reality in big business boardrooms is really no longer about selling stuff. Next, is the prime brand about to be dropped? Unmade. So uh, if uh, what we read in the newspapers this morning is correct, Damo, it looks like the prime brand is set to be dropped this year. What do we know about that one? That's correct, Tim. Zoe Samios in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age has reported on this one. And it's not just the prime brand. It's the GWN brand as well. For those of you who don't know, the the Golden West Network, and I I must admit that was a new bit of information uh, for me, not having been brought up in Western Australia. Uh, But the idea is that after the acquisition of Prime by Seven West Media uh, uh, around six months ago, that that old uh, marketing adage of... of, the, the the only thing you need is one brand rather than multiple brands. It seems like uh, James Warburton has taken that to heart and is looking to drop uh, the Prime and GWN brands in time for the, the Com Games, uh, essentially, which uh, makes sense be- because SWM, of course, owns Prime now and they've been selling nationally as well. So, why not bring it all under the one banner with uh, the, the same logos and branding uh, everywhere? Uh, Zoe points out uh, as well that uh, the Win brand was also quietly uh, dropped uh, recently uh, after a, a long-term affiliate deal uh, with Nine as well. But I found the the angle of the story to be quite interesting in terms of the, the headline Um which I'll read to you now. Goodbye, Prime Possum, question mark. Seven Eyes brand changes ahead of Commonwealth Games. Now, I as well didn't know what the the Prime Possum was, but apparently there are some uh, iconic characters uh, from Prime, particularly in the the kids sort of area, the Prime Possum, Duper Dog and uh, Fat Cat and the big question mark of will they survive this brand change? But uh, Tim, do you think this is an important play for, for Seven to make now? Look, mainly it feels like housekeeping. Um, there, there is no sense in in having a brand, multiple brands in the long term, so long as um, it doesn't disadvantage you along the way. Um, you know, I, I can probably think of better examples in radio where there've been attempts to kind of rebrand to a national brand that they've then gone backwards. You know, we've 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 seen Southern Cross Stereo struggle with that a bit, where, for instance. You know, the sort of the hit network became the main headline thing. And then then we sort of, uh, you know, saw some of the, the networked brands out in, for instance, you know, SAFM for, for Adelaide, for instance, go away from and then back towards the SAFM brand. So um, 
not not guaranteed to work because there's an awful lot of brand equity in the word prime. But as you say, and as Adam Ferrier often says, the best number of brands is one. So um, that's the you know that's the logic to it. Certainly, it makes in the long term the the sales part of the story, uh, as in the advertising sales part of the story, that bit little more straightforward. Next, small tax bills for Google and Facebook. Unmade. Lots of reporting over the last few days on Google and Facebook. Tim, what is the latest there? Yeah, and again, this is one of those days where we seem to be reporting on a lot that Zoe Samuels has written in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald and uh, The Age. Um, one of the uh, pieces of reporting, or two of the pieces of reporting, she broke it into two stories um, that Zoe had done um, towards the end of last week, was uh, digging into the financial accounts for Google and Facebook, which were lodged last week, um, which is sort of separate to what they do on the global level because they, they, they have to put someone with the sort of local regulator. And this is where we find out just how much or how little they've been paying in tax. And the theme for both is the same because what they do is they, you know, completely legally, but maybe morally questionably offshore a lot of their profits uh, to a lower tax kind of uh, base. That means they reduce what they have to pay in tax on those profits in Australia. You know, effectively, they're recharging themselves. So in Google's case, Google took revenue of $7.2 billion from the Australian market. And an awful lot of that is uh, advertising. So, you know, more than uh, the entire TV industry put together. Um, and then offshored much of that. So ended up paying profit. Uh, taxes on profit of only 85 million. Now, Facebook isn't quite as big as uh, Google. Um, so Facebook used, you know, a very similar maneuver um, and ended up paying a reported $24 million on nearly a billion dollars in local advertising revenue. So, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of... Um, understand and don't feel an awful lot of sympathy for them being being caught in the news media bargaining code when um they would otherwise not be terribly good contributors to the local economy so that's the argument in part isn't it that we've we've reported year after year on tiny tax bills for for google and facebook and not just them but but other big tech companies in particular uh, who do exactly what you said but the news media bargaining code in a sense, addresses that somewhat by trying to put more money into local media. Interesting that um, Andrew Twiggy Forrest has had to get involved here to negotiate uh, on behalf of a bunch of publishers. But this is uh, particularly in relation to Google rather than Facebook. The story they're saying uh, this is the 60th deal that that Google is done, and and Facebook is now very much under the under pressure, and potentially looking at um, being, uh, I guess, being uh, listed a, 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 as such um, under the news media bargaining code. But uh, is this working in your mind, Tim? That you know we, these deals are so, I guess, 
just all over the place at the moment? Well, look, the, you, be, you, you mentioned Andrew Twiggy Forrest, who suddenly become involved in this story. And, 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 and by the way, I, I should probably mention this, this is an aspect of the news media bargaining code I'm not particularly on top on. So really, I'm just, you know, absorbing this bit from today's newspapers. So, um, his, um, uh, foundation, the Mindaroo Foundation, um, has, um, got a sort of a, a, an arm which it describes as a frontier technology initiative, which has taken on the job of for some of the smaller digital publishers negotiating, in this case, as you say, with Google, um, under what would have been the news media bargaining code if Google had been designated. Um, so it's this usual kind of, there's, there's, there's lots of technicalities along the way, but what's happened is sort of in this kind of group block bargaining deal, a bunch of smaller titles, things like the Greek Herald, the Australian Jewish News, Australian Chinese Daily and Time Out have all, have all found these deals with Google via the Mindaroo Foundation's kind of uh, group negotiation, which is um, the, the, the story that Zoe's reported this morning. Um, so it's, it, it, it's kind of intriguing. It, um, it matches the, 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 the group conversation that's going on in New Zealand at the moment that's being run by Chris Jans, for instance, on behalf of some of the New Zealand publishers. Um, but also it's interesting again, because once again, it adds to the pressure on Facebook because this is a Google deal, not a Facebook deal. And there've already been questions about why Facebook has stopped doing deals with the small publishers, despite the risk that it might be designated under the news media bargaining code if it doesn't do enough. So the more this goes on, the more you're thinking it's just daring the new government to do something about that. Coming up next, demerger talk in consultancy land. Unmade. Demo, news of a demerger of one of the big four consultancies, EY, surfaced in the Australian Financial Review over the weekend uh they're 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 increasingly or have increasingly i suppose moved into the consultancy space so what could that mean for media and marketing yeah look tim this could be pretty big in media and marketing uh, frankly so the the news um which surfaced in the afr is essentially that uh, the global chief of ey and hopefully i'm not butchering the, the name but carmine de sibio uh, is looking to split the the business essentially in into uh, auditing uh, as one part and advisory as the other part. Now, EY is is one of the big four consultancies, and if uh, you don't uh, already know, uh, those big four are KPMG, PwC, uh, Deloitte, and of course the aforementioned EY. Now, the the complexity here is really that. A large part of the, the, the business of these consultancies is auditing. Essentially, the team that goes into the big businesses and holds their C-suite to, to, to account in terms of running the numbers and making sure what they're saying uh, is actually true of the business performance. Um, and there's complexities there around conflict then in terms of the advisory side of the business and the clients that they can then work with. So essentially, if you've got an audit client, it's extraordinarily difficult then to work with that same client as an advisory client. There's conflict of interest there. So 
what do you do about it? Hey, look, it's, it's somewhat similar to, to what we've seen in terms of agency land and, and the conflict space and coming up with a, a conflict agency. So splitting the EY business into advisory and audit uh, could possibly solve that problem and allow EY to grow substantially bigger by being able to take on a number of different clients on the advising side as well as the uh, auditing side. But that will then have a flow-on effect to the other members uh, of the big four. And, and if EY does go through with this, do they then have to consider this uh, as well, what, what happens uh, there? Um, and, of course, what that means for, for media marketing is you know, EY has seen an opportunity here. They're seeing that the advisory side, which includes a lot of work in the, in the media and marketing industry, and we're seeing more and more that that's in the, the sort of creative uh, space as well as uh, the likes of Unmade and others have reported on. Um, this could drastically change uh, what these consultancies could do within the space, but it's super complicated in terms of whether it can actually happen or not. As most people know, there are a number of partners in this business who, who obviously have a huge amount of money in that and would this split affect their, you know, their income, uh, their future income? Uh, could they list uh, you know, one of those parts of the business? Um, you know, is the IPO the way to go? Apparently, that's going to be extraordinarily uh, complicated, so, so the AFR says. But uh, for EY, um, it, it's a really interesting um, idea but there seems like there's got a, there's a lot of hurdles uh, to jump across now. If it happens, it could change the the, the industry substantially. But uh, Tim, what do you make of um, the, the the big consultancies like this really looking at how they can boost the advising side? Well, I wonder whether for particularly the media agencies, there's a bit of danger of be careful of what you wish for, because one of their moans in recent years has been when they find themselves up on a pitch list against a consultancy and at the same time another part of that consultancy might well be looking at the media buying pool of that agency when they're auditing their media buying performance so there is always that complaint that they're sort of you know potentially either getting a, a look under the bonnet of a competitor or b getting to mark their own homework potentially so um that's been quite a good objection to raise, which is maybe one of the reasons why you don't always see consultancies on, 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 on the pitch list, uh, and it would obviously remove that barrier. So, so yeah, you know, it definitely feels like we've gone through that phase where Australia was a big experiment for the consultancies. You know, they 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 all went really hard on beginning to add to their, they had different titles for it, but their advisory practices for chief marketing officers. Um, they all invested heavily, some through acquisition, through, um, some through growing staff. Um, so yeah, this is um, definitely a new and interesting dynamic. And for those who are sort of thinking it, um, obviously not included in that big four is Accenture, which just went through the the major rebrand of their uh, offering to a centrist song, um, still with question marks over whether brands like uh, the Monkeys and Droga will be dropped uh, in favour of a centrist song, which has taken over all the rest of, of the names there. But they're very much uh, leaning towards the advisory uh, side and, and, and therefore have a bit of a, 
uh, freer reign in in terms of the, the the consulting that they do there as opposed to audits yeah and look and the other thing is of course we're also seeing this weird coming together of the groups as well so we've got Accenture Song and the Monkeys, who are owned by Accenture Song, an initiative partnering uh, partnering in uh, in the the, the the Coles pitch at the moment. Similarly, we've got Sayers, who is X uh, PWC, uh, partnering Just with perhaps, uh, yeah. uh, via Momentum, which is their Marcom services uh, business with OMG. Um, they're all following the money. And that is where we leave it for today. We would love to hear what you think of everything we've been talking about at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. And there'll be another edition of Unmade's email on Tuesday. And if you haven't yet given us a rating in the podcast catcher of your choice, please do so. It helps other people find us. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.